Good morning, Boker Tov, and welcome back to our Parsha Perspectives for today. Thank you so much for being with us again as we try to study the Parsha in a way which inspires our contemporary lives, which reflects and gives us lessons for how to live the most meaningful lives today. I want to thank our generous sponsors for the year, dear friends Becky and Avi Katz, in loving memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Lilo Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Manish. Thank you so much to the Katzes for your generosity for the Parsha class and so much more. And as well, a special thank you to uh, our sponsors for this morning's shear in commemoration of the first year site of Egon Henner, Yitzchak Ben Yaakov, beloved father of Lester and Judy Henner, and grandfather of Benji and Zeldi Henner, and Yoni and Devorah Henner, and very happy birthday to Judy Henner, celebrating a wonderful milestone and a big birthday. And as well, sponsored by Gordon and Yonina Haas, in honor of the year site of his father, Max Haas, Hechaver Michael Ben Hechaver Gedaya. Thank you all for your generosity and sponsorship this morning. We have the privilege of learning, of studying together, Parshas Toldos, page 124 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Ve'ela Toldos Yitzchak Ben Avram, Avram Holid as Yitzchak. It's interesting, we have two parshios that begin the same way, Ve'ela Toldos. Our parsha, which is of course telling us the story of Yitzchak, the son of Avraham. Ela told us Yitzchak ben Avraham. What other parsha? If we were together, I would ask you out loud and you would be able to answer me, but you can't. So I'll give you a hint. Go to page 30 in the article Stone Chumash. Ela told us Noach. Two parshas begin with the words Ela told us. Parshas told us, Ela told us Yitzchak. And parshas Noach, Ela told us Noach, which begs the question why is parshas Noach called Noach and why is parshas Yitzchak? Called Toldos. Why aren't they consistent? Why isn't it symmetrical? It should be Parshas Toldos and Parshas Toldos, or Parshas Noach and Parshas Yitzchak. In both cases, it begins Eila Toldos. Why is one named Toldos and one named Noach? Well, the Babach Rebbe Zatzal gives a magnificent answer. He says, Noach we know is righteous for his generation, and Noach. We did, we did well this year learning Parshas Noach without ranking on Noach. I have a dear friend who's a good Noach, big Noach fan, and it bothers him every year that the debate ensues and that there are those who are haters on Noach. So we're not going to hate on Noach, but we'll just say Noach was an Ish Tzadik Bedorosa for his generation. He was very, very righteous. However, his generation is what he cared about. It's what he saved. It's what he sustained. Noach lived for the here and now. Yitzchak, in great contrast, did not live, I mentioned Noach, and the skies opened up. And Yitzchak, in contrast, did not live for the here and now. Yitzchak lived for future generations. Yitzchak was all about the toldos. Yitzchak was all about the offspring, the legacy, what would come from him. That was the story of, of Yitzchak. And that's why one is called Noach, because it's all about Noach. And the parsha of Yitzchak is called Toldos, because as far as Yitzchak was concerned, it was really all about his Toldos. It was about it was about uh, those who would come after him and inspiring them. So Yitzchak ben Avram, Avram holidus Yitzchak. Yitzchak is the son of Avram. Avram gave birth to Yitzchak. And of course, we all know and are bothered by the question that comes up each and every year: If Yitzchak is the son of Avram, obviously Avram begot which is a word only used in Parshas Toldos. Avram obviously was the father gave birth to Yitzchak. Why do we need the Torah to provide it in both directions? So we'll begin with an Eshtamid. This year we are going through, among the different uh, commentators that we turn to, Rav Yisrael Meir Druk, the great Eshtamid, the Rosh Hashiva of Yerushalayim. And he says the following. He begins by quoting Rashi. We know that the cynics, the scoffers of the generation, so falsely accused and said, Sarah was impregnated, conceived from Avimelech. We know the episode where Avram takes Sarah to Avimelech, says the old pretend you're my sister. Ramban says he made a terrible critical mistake doing so. So the scoffers, the cynics of the generation, the internet trolls, the bloggers, all said, Yitzchak. It's not Avram's kid. Yitzchak is Avimelech. Avimelech and Sarah. Sarah cheated on Avram. How many years were Sarah and Avram married? And there was no child. Sarah didn't become pregnant. She didn't conceive. So clearly it wasn't Avram who's the father. It's Avimelech. So what did the Almighty do? He made Yitzchak. The spitting image of Avram. And when Yitzchak becomes the spitting image of Avram, it bevorns, it removes any criticism or any suspicion of the scoffers and cynics. 
How could they accuse Yitzchak of being the child of Avimelech? He's the spitting image of Avram. He looks exactly like Avram. Avram So that's why the Pasuk begins, Ela told us, this is the story, this is the legacy of Yitzchak, the son of Avram. And because Yitzchak looked exactly like Avram, who's the spitting image of Avram, it was undeniable. Everybody knew Avram holidus Yitzchak, that Avram was the father of Yitzchak. So wonders, we've studied this each and every year, that Rashi. Who hasn't studied that Rashi every single year? Wonders, Rav Druk, the following. Let's talk about this suspicion. Let's talk about this cynicism. Let's talk about this accusation that um, that Avimelech is the father. What a foolish, foolish suspicion. What an absurd suspicion. Avram and Sarah are married. They're struggling to conceive a child. If you had to guess who's the source of the challenge, who is blocking the conception, let's see. Avram has Yishmael, Yitzchak, seven other children. Sarah had nobody until she had Yitzchak. Who do you think is the father? You'd never suspect that Avram is not the father. Milvad Yitzchak od Sheva Bonim. In addition to Yitzchak, he has seven sons. Yishmael, Yishmael shenolad lo mehagar. Yishmael who comes from Hagar. Vod sheishes b'nei Keturah shenolad lo Isaac nusla shel Avram. And another six sons born to Keturah who's also Hagar. Elisha Sarah, Sarah haisa akara. It was Sarah who struggled with infertility. Uma taina huiza sheavi melch nis abra Sarah. We know these cynics and scoffers probably would have hacked Sarah's OBGYN's office. They would have gotten her file and they would have discovered that Sarah struggled. She didn't have a uterus. She didn't have an operational or functional uterus. She was no longer fertile because she was no longer getting her monthly cycle. These cynics and scoffers, these hackers and hackers, these trolls and bloggers, they should never accuse Avram as not being the father. It makes no sense. Avram's got other children. So says Rav Druk, we read this Rashi every year. Do we ever stop and wonder why would they accuse Avram of not being the father? It is utterly illogical. Ella, shezulait sanas haisa. Kiadua mehar Ramchal. The Ramchal writes in Mesil Sasharim in the 25th chapter. Kiadua sanas achas docha mea tochachos. One moment of leitzanus, one moment of cynicism will offset, will nullify, will block a hundred messages from penetrating. That's the power of leitzanus. The power of leitzanus, of cynicism, which is so rampant and pernicious in our generation. Cynicism and scoffers who second guess and who accuse and who undermine and who challenge leadership and integrity and the, the sincerity of people. Everyone sits and flings arrows at the other. Everyone sits in judgment of one another. Everyone sits with such an attitude and a view of cynicism of one another. So negative, so pernicious, so poisonous is Leitzanus that it defies logic. You're right. Even though logically it made no sense to accuse Avram as not being the father, but the cynic, the scoffer, the troll is so driven by that cynicism, they'll say something so foolish, so stupid, that makes no sense whatsoever, and people will listen. Because who doesn't like a good, healthy controversy? Who doesn't like to follow the thread online that's going to offer lies and slander, that's going to offer suspicion and try to create something where there's not? However, says Rav Druk, and that we've shared before, the power of Leitzanus. You see just how powerful Leitzanus is. However, this is new. Rav Druk raises yet another issue. The Almighty had to respond. So let them be suspicious. Let them be cynical. Who cares? The longer you're in this business, the thicker skin you form. So let them write. Let them write their comments. Let them write their, their, their cynicism. Who cares? Hashem made a miracle. And what was the miracle? The miracle was that Yitzchak was the spitting image of Avram. Hashem wanted to respond to the Litzani Ador. He wanted to undermine the suspicious attitude. And how did he do it? By making Yitzchak the spitting image. So what? Who cares? So they're going to post online that Avi Melech is the father. Who cares? God cares so much what the Leitzani Ador, the cynics say, so much that God is willing to perform a miracle in order to respond to the cynics? Adraba, 
He says the following. It should be the opposite. We know in the beginning of the Torah, the story of Genesis, God says, let us make man. He says it in the plural. And Rashi comes along and says, Why did God put it in the plural? Let us make man. Why didn't he say, let me make man? Because God wanted to teach Derech You shouldn't use I in the State of the Union, in your campaign speech, in your inaugural speech, in your acceptance speech. Don't use I, use we. The Gettysburg Address was brilliant and famous, not only because of how short it was, but it was brilliant because of how many times Lincoln used the term we instead of I. That's how he got everybody involved. That's how he got everyone bought in. So Kurdish Baruch the Almighty says, it's Derech Heretz. It wouldn't be right for me to say, let me make man. He said, us, by committee, let me consult you. I, who was the committee? God is a committee of one. He doesn't need a committee. So Rashi there says, wasn't God worried? Nasa, he's trying to teach Derech Heretz. So he's going to say, let us, in order to teach Derech Heretz. Wasn't he worried? What about the Leitzanei Ador? What about the cynics and scoffers? Aren't they going to say, you see, there are many gods. God says, I could care less what they say. Let them say what they say. Let them comment what they comment. Who cares? I know the truth. So why didn't God say that here too? Who cares what they say? We have a precedent for God not paying attention to the Leitzanei Ador. And we have it again. The Medrash tells us, When God told Moshe to write the Torah, he said, And Moshe said, What are you doing? Let us make man in our image. Moshe says to Hashem, Aren't you worried about the cynics and scoffers? And Hashem says, Ah, who cares what they have to say? Not worried about them whatsoever. Who cares? So why, says Rav Druk, why all of a sudden does God care about the Litzani Ador? Why does God all of a sudden care about the cynics and the scoffers? So listen to what he answers. Avi Mori, he quotes in the name of his father, the Drash Mordechai, Rav Mordechai Druk, Zatzal. Shalom klal. You know what the fundamental difference is between when God cared about the cynics and when he doesn't? When it comes to himself, he doesn't care about the cynics. When it comes to himself, let him say what they want to say. Hashem is the thickest skin there is. He could care less what they have to say. But when it comes to his righteous children, when it comes to the ones he loves, when it comes to Avram and Yitzchak, when it comes to us, he has no patience. He has, he has no tolerance for the Leitzanei Hador. He has no tolerance for the Leitzanei Hador. When it comes to himself, who cares? Let him say what they want to say. But when it comes to us, Hashem protects us. He steps in. He will not allow the Leitzanei Ador because the Leitzanei Ador can do damage and he doesn't want to allow them to do damage. And therefore he steps in. Like Yeruvim ben Avad, a Kaddish Baruch Hu steps in and that answers the question. Normally, he doesn't care about the Litzani Ador when it comes to him. But when it comes to his children, he does. But again, you see, you see how poisonous you see how much it can contaminate. You see how dangerous and negative cynicism is. Cynicism, it blocks us from hearing messages, from growing, from listening. We have to get rid of that sense of cynicism. We have to get rid of that sense of cynicism. It bothered Hashem so much, He performed a miracle in order to offset the attitude of the, of the cynics. Let's go right into the next piece of Rav Druk. And we quoted the Rash, Letzani Ador. So before, what comes at the end of, at the end of Parshas Chayisara, or in Parshas Chayisara? Vashem pakara Sara, kasher amar. Hashem daven for Sara, kasher amar. Hashem, sorry, uh, allowed Sara to become pregnant as he had promised. He allowed Sara to conceive. And what does Rashi say there? Samach parsha zulu lamedchesh kol mevakesh rachem emachavero v'hu tzarach lo'oso davar hu'nenetchila. In last week's Parsha, when Sarah becomes pregnant, Rashi says, you know why Sarah became pregnant? Because Avram had davened for Avimelech. You see from here that when you daven for another person for what you need, you're answered first. We all know that. You need a shidduch, daven for somebody else who needs a shidduch. You want to have a child, daven for someone else having a child. You want to need to get better, you need a refuah shleima, daven for someone else who needs a refuah shleima. When you want uh, something, daven for someone else who needs it. 
Asks Rav Druk, I don't understand. Avram was davening for Avimelech because he was struck with a plague. He needed a Rafu Shlema. He had corona. Sarah doesn't have corona. She's perfectly healthy. She wants a baby. She wants to conceive. What's the connection between Avram's davening for Avimelech and Sarah's conception? How does that teach us this lesson or this rule that if you daven for someone else who needs what you need, that you'll be answered first? Where do you see that from here? There are two separate things they were davening for. So it says the Mabit, says the Mabit, Says the Mabit, when you daven for what you need, when you daven for yourself, davening is just the means to the ends of what you want. So it's unclear you're davening because you believe in davening. The davening is on your checklist. Got to go to the doctor, got to take the vitamins, got to exercise, got to daven, check, 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 check. I did everything I can in order to get the result that I so desperately want. But when you daven for someone else, where the result is not your focus, then it's clear that you're davening because you believe in the davening. You're davening because you believe that davening is efficacious, davening works. So says the Mabit, that's why when you daven for somebody else, you're answered first, but still, how does that explain Hutzarach la'oso davar? Avram davened for Avimelech to get better. Why did Sarah become pregnant? They were two different needs. Avram wasn't davening for some other infertile woman, and then all of a sudden Sarah conceives. So what's the connection between the two? And listen to this insight. He quotes Rav Druk from Agon Rav Zelig Ruvain Bengis, who says the following, altogether a different pshat, and he says the following. He says, I'll tell it to you outside because we have a lot we want to cover, and it's a beautiful piece. He says, you know, the Litzanei Ador said that Sarah conceived from Avimelech. Sarah conceived from Avimelech. So was it in Avram's best interest for Avimelech to recover? It would have been in Avram's better interest for Avimelech to not recover. Why? He had this plague that he was struck with when Sarah came to visit. And he comes to Avram and he says, what's the deal? You told me she's your sister. Why am I suffering? It would have been in Avram's interest for Avimelech to continue to suffer. You know why? Nobody ever could have been suspicious that Avimelech was with Sarah. Avimelech was struck with an illness. He never could have conceived a child. It never would have uh, aroused the suspicion of others that Avimelech was the father. So it would have been in, Av- in Avram's interest for Avimelech to remain sick. And yet, Avram davens for him anyway. Vaispalel Avram el Elokim. He daven for him every way. And that's what it means. You know what the means? Not that you need the same thing you're davening for the other person about. You need what they're going through that you don't want to daven for them to be better. And you need the very thing that you're going to daven against for them to not have. Avram needed Avimelech to remain sick, so nobody could have been suspicious that Avimelech was the father. Nevertheless, Avram davens for Avimelech. So you see from here this critical notion and principle that you daven for someone else, Avram also needed Davar. He needed Avimelech to be sick, and yet he was so selfless, so magnanimous, so generous in spirit. He davened for Avimelech anyway. And therefore, Hunan he was answered first. You're right. One had nothing to do with the other, says Rabengis. Sarah conceiving is a totally different need than Avimelech being ill, needing to get better. Lo'oso davar doesn't mean the same need. It means you're davening for someone else. You know, so you daven for someone else to get the job that you're also going for. You'd be better off if they didn't get the job but you daven for them to get the job. You need them to not get the job, but yet you daven for it anyway. You daven for the shit, whatever the case may be. means, and really it's in your interest. If you were aligning your davening based on your interests, you'd never daven for that person to get that result. It's going against your interest, and yet you daven for it anyway. That's what Chazar was telling us, that you're answered first. Good. So, Yitzchak is the son of Avram. He's 40 years old when he marries Rivka. We know. Rashi's bothered. We've seen it countless times. Why is the Torah providing Rivka's pedigree yet again? By now we are all familiar that Lavan, her wicked brother, and Basuel, her father. And what happens? 
They are barren. They're barren. Rivka cannot conceive. She has the same challenge as her mother had. She can't conceive. So Yitzchak davens for her. And the language is somewhat peculiar. The Pasuk says, Vayatar Yitzchak Lashem. Vayatar, I always tell you, Sha'aram Betfila, we learned it together, the whole Sefer. It's on uh, my website, or Torah. all those Shiurim, little by little, the beautiful insights of Rapinkis, Sha'aram Betfila, on the, the gates of prayer, the 13 synonyms for prayer, and this is one of them, one of the chapters in that book, one of the synonyms for prayer, which is a unique type of davening, Vayatar Yitzhak Lashem Lenochach Ishto. Vayatar. doesn't say Vayispalel. It says Vayatar. Rashi tells us, quoting the Gemara Sukkah, like a pitchfork turns over the hay, Yitzhak turned over God's mind. He entreated God. He, he, he begged God. It was a prayer out of desperation. And the Pasuk throws in what seemed to be two gratuitous words. Which words seem gratuitous? Lenochach Ishto. How is Yitzchak davening? His posture is lenochach ishto. It sounds like the Torah is telling us he's davening opposite his wife. Opposite his wife. What are they, facing each other? Shuckling towards each other? There's not a lot of room in their apartment, the newlywed apartment, so they're you know, on top of each other while they're davening. What in the world is the Pasuk telling us that they're davening lenochach ishto, opposite his wife? What does that mean, lenochach ishto? So the Rashbam writes, Bishvil Ishto, davening for his wife. Isn't that condescending? Isn't that misogynistic? He's davening for his wife? He's davening for himself. He also wants to have a child. What do you mean he's davening Lenochach? He's davening for his wife. He's davening for himself. What does the Rashbam mean, Lenochach, Bishvil Ishto? So the Meshachachim Rev Simchav Dvinsk, we've quoted it before, says, Lenochach Ishto means. He was destined to have children. How did he know? Because God gave him the promise. But he looks at his father. God gave his father a promise also. And how was the promise to his father fulfilled? It was fulfilled through Hagar, through a co-wife, until Sarah conceives later. So Yitzchak says, look, I don't need any help. I'm going to have children. I can rely on, I got the promise from the one above. I'm going to have children. I'm going to be the father of a great nation. I'm going to have many progeny. I'm not the problem. I'm in good shape. But Nebuch, my poor wife, I can have many, many children through some Pilegesh, through some other wife, or I can have children through her. So he was davening specifically, Lenochach Ishto. Davening specifically to have children through her. That's what the Meshachachma says. But I want to share with you a different insight. The insight of Rav David of Amshinov, the Amshinov Rebbe, who says the following. Listen to this insight. I love this imagery. I find it very, very beautiful. Very beautiful. Says the Tzaddik, Rav David of Amshinov, Rivka comes before Hashem and she says, Hashem, I'm desperate for a child. I so badly want to conceive. It defines my life, motherhood, maternity. That's what I want. But who am I and what am I? Why would I deserve for you to answer me? But you see over there in the other corner? You see my hubby in the other corner? He's a tzaddik ben tzaddik. Do you know who he is? Do you know how he learns? Do you know the chesed he does? Do you know who his father is? See, he's worthy of being answered. So me, little Rivka, I'm undeserving. But do you see my husband? Do you see who I married? Do it for him. You know what was going on in the other corner? Yitzchak's in the other corner. Says Yitzchak, who am I? I've been diminished by all the kindness you've showed me and showered upon me. My parents were so great. My parents were Avram and Sarah and little me, little Yitzchak, I'm nothing. And even if I serve you, whatever I do, that's how I was raised. That's what my parents taught me. So what's the big deal that I've emerged to become the person I am? That was obvious that I'd be this person. Look who my parents are. Look at my DNA. The Elohi, Rivka Rayasi but in the other corner, Hashem, I'm a Gornish, I'm a nothing. I was destined to this because of my parents. I'm the winner of the lottery to be born to Avram and Sarah. But you see in the other corner, Hashem, you see opposite me over there, Nochach, you see my wife? Boy, she at Sadekis. She didn't grow up in the same privileged background I did. She grew up with love on and besuel. 
She's like a rose among the thorns. She's God-fearing. She's righteous. Hashem, I'm undeserving. Don't do it for me. You see over there in the other corner? For her. So therefore, says the Amshanover, Kimu Yitzchak v'Rivka l'Nochach. That's what the Pasuk means. Each one came to Hashem and they said, You know, Hashem, I'm a Gornisht, I'm a nothing, I married up. We said last week, the Pshat, why do we learn Kicha Kicha Miste Ephron? Why do we learn standing under the chuppah, the least romantic thing on the planet? Is we learn that when you give the ring, you're married from the story of Avram buying a burial plot. Why do we learn from there? And we quoted, we learn from there because you see what? Just like Avram and Ephron each walked away and said, I got the deal of the century. Just like Avram and Ephron each walked away and said, I married up. I got a steal. I got a deal. So to over here, when a couple davens, daven in a way that brings you closer together, not drives you further apart. Daven in a way which is not about your ego. Daven in a way which is not about your worthiness. Daven in a way which is not about your needs. But daven lenochach. The Holy Amshanover, in this brilliant insight on this one word, is teaching us about when a couple goes through a challenging time. I just sadly met with a couple struggling with infertility. We daven for them and for all those who want to have children. They should be blessed with healthy, healthy children. And I told them, because of they came to meet with me, there were challenges and friction in the marriage. And I said, you know, when you go through a hard time, it can either bring you closer together, you can go through it together, or it can drive a wedge and it can push you further apart if there's blame and resentment, if you force the other person to experience it exactly the way you do, and you're angry at them if they don't, if you make them conform to exactly how you're responding or to act a certain way you want them to act. So Amshan over here says, L'nochach. Allow the challenge or the struggle to bring you closer, not further apart. When you daven, daven l'nochach. Daven and say, Hashem, it's not me, it's not my willingness, it's not my need, but my wife, my husband, oh, are they righteous, oh, are they deserving do it for them. Do it for them even if you won't or even if you're not worthy or even if you're not willing to do it for me. In that one word, l'nochach, psh, what a powerful, powerful image, what a powerful lesson. Now Rashi quotes, Rashi quotes, who was Hashem more predisposed to listen to? Yitzchak or Rivka. Rivka is the daughter of a Russia, the sister of a Russia, of a wicked person. Yitzchak is the son of a righteous, of a tzaddik, a righteous father and a righteous mother. And it concludes... He's more likely to listen to the tefillah of a tzaddik ben tzaddik, of the righteous, the son of the righteous. And we've asked before, I'm not going to say it now, I'll just pose the question to you. That makes no sense. I would think that God would cherish more the prayers of somebody who's turned out to be righteous, even though they come from a place that is unrighteous. What do you mean he listens more to the righteous, the son of the righteous? Listen more to the righteous, the daughter of the wicked. That's much more impressive. For a Rivka to become a Rivka, it's much more impressive than a Yitzchak to become a Yitzchak. So why does Hashem listen to Yitzchak, the Tzadik ben Tzadik more? We've shared that question and an answer previously. I'll leave it as a question for you. And you can come up with your own answers or suggest one to me. Feel free to email me later. Turn the page, 126. The boys grow up. They grow up. Esav becomes a person who knows how to hunt, a man of the field. The Yaakov, Ishtam Yoshev Olam. And Yaakov is a simple man, and Ishtam Yoshev Olam. And back to Rav Druk, back to the Sefer Ishtamid. And Rav Druk is bothered by the following question. Maybe you never noticed it before. Look carefully. Is there symmetry in the Pasuk? Look carefully at these descriptions of Esav and Yaakov. Why? Because Esav is called an Ish Sadeh, a man of the field. And Yaakov is called a Yoshev O'alim, the one who sits in the tent. If it was symmetrical, what should it have said? Ish Sadeh, Ish O'alim, a man of the field and a man of the tent. Esav ayashari besadav Yaakov ayabaol. If we're trying to characterize or define them based on where they hang out, Esav hangs out at the bar, and Yaakov hangs out at the base medrash. Esav hang out in the field, Yaakov hangs out in the study hall. Madua Esav nikra ish sadeh. Esav is identified with the place. He's the ish sadeh. And Yaakov is not identified with the place where he hangs out. He's called Yoshev Ohalim rather than Ish Ohalim. It's a good question. Never bothered or occurred to me before. 
He's medactic in the Lashon. Careful, you have to read the text carefully in order to be able to extract and to derive lessons from the questions and the answers that emerge. So what does Rav Jok say? How does he answer? Nira Lomar. He offers the following suggestion. When you're in the field, the environment, the atmosphere, the culture molds you. It shapes you. It makes you become who you are. So when Esav hangs out in the club, Esav hangs out in the bar, Esav hangs out in the street corner, Esav hangs out with the gang, Esav becomes an Ish Sadeh. He conforms to the environment and to the place where he is. He is characterized as an Ish Sadeh. But you know, just because you sit in the oil, you sit in the tent, doesn't make you through osmosis become like the tent. You need to work. You need to struggle. You need to toil. When you sit in the base medrash reading comic books, you don't become a Tamachacham. If you sit in the shul reading the newspaper, you don't become a great davener. You have to be a Yoshev Ohalim. So when it comes to the negative impact, if you hang out at the bar, the club, the field, if you hang out in the wrong place, through osmosis, just by being there, you become an Ish Sadeh. The environment has an impact on molding and shaping who you become. But when it comes to learning Torah, when it comes to righteousness, it's not enough to just simply place yourself there. You have to be a Yoshev Ohalim. You have to sit there and you have to toil and you have to work and you have to put in the effort in order to become the person you want and are meant to be. Yadua B'Shem, Agon Reb Chaim, Alevi Mibrisk. And then Rav Druk continues by quoting the great Reb Chaim. Sh'amar Shalamdan Zeh, Lo Mishyodeh Lilmud, Elo Mishalomed. You know what a Lamdan is? A Lamdan, the title, the appellation Lamdan, we don't give to somebody who knows how to learn. We give it to someone who learns. There's a big difference. You could be a brilliant person and you know how to learn. Maybe previously in your life, you learned. But if you're not currently learning, you're not called a Lamdan. You don't call someone a thief because they know how to steal. You call them a thief when? If they've stolen. So the same way you call them a thief if they've stolen, not just because they know how to steal. Similarly, you don't call someone a lamdan because they know how to learn. You only call them a lamdan if they are a learner. It's not enough to have a makam in the base medrash. It's not enough to have a place. Now it's true. It's better than hanging out outside the base medrash. It's true that some things will rub off and catch on, but if you want to be a Tamil Chacham, if you want to be a scholar, if you want to be righteous, if you want to grow, it's not enough to just be there. You need to be engaged while there. You're not a thief because you know how to steal. You're a thief when you steal. And you're not a Lamdan because you know how to learn. You're a Lamdan when you learn. So therefore, Yaakov is not an Ish Ohalim because he hangs out there. He's Yoshev Ohalim. He puts in the work in order to be able to grow while he is, while he is there. So that's number one. Ishtam Yoshev Oalim. Yaakov is Yoshev Oalim, not defined by the place, while Esav is Ish Sadeh, defined by his place. The great Tzaddik, the Rebbe of Lublin, also has an insight. Rashi says, Yaakov is called Ishtam Yoshev Oalim. Why the double description? So says Rashi, Misha'enu charef l'ramos karaitam. Whoever is not sharp in order to cheat, to steal, to trick, is called tam. It's called simple. So says the Tzaddik, the Rebbe of Lublin, Misha'enu charef l'ramos perusha shodavr she'en yodea ketzad meramim. Hu karaitam. If you have no idea how to operate and how to trick, you're called tam, you're called simple. V'ilu misha yodea ketzad meramim. V'einu merama karaish tam. Why wasn't Yaakov just called Tam? The Yaakov Tam, Yoshev O'alim. When it comes to the Seder and it comes to the four sons, we talk about the Tam. We don't talk about the Ish Tam. So why is Yaakov here called Ish Tam rather than just Tam? So says the Lubliner, you know why? Because Tam is somebody who doesn't have the smarts, who doesn't have the cunning, who doesn't have the brain to be able to cheat or manipulate or operate. And Ishtam is the one who has the brain, who knows how, but chooses not to. And that's Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov, and we see it at the end of the Parsha, 
when Yaakov maneuvers and manipulates and takes the bracha, it's clear he knows how to be an operator, but he chooses not to be an operator. Not because he's not sly enough, not because he's not smart enough, not because he doesn't have the courage or bravery enough, but Ishtam as opposed to Tam, says the Lubliner, because even though he knows how to, he refuses to. It's not who he is. The Shlach Kadosh Rabbi Shai Levi Horowitz also points out the fact that the Torah here is trying to give praise to Yaakov. What's the greatest praise it can give? What he got on his SATs? No. What's the greatest praise it can give? Yeah, his IQ? No. The greatest praise it can give is Ishtam, Timimus. You see that the Mida Me'ula, the highest and the most admirable quality for us to strive for is to be Tam, is to be pure, is to be holy, is not to be an operator, is not to be a maneuver, but rather to be Tam, to be somebody who is who is Tom in our, in our daily living. Um, good. So you see from this Pasuk, going back again, let's read the Pasuk again. Pasuk Chof Zayin. Vayidilu anearim, they grow up. Until then, they were indistinguishable. When you're under Bar Mitzvah, when you're a young child, you could dress everybody in the same little cute, adorable outfit, and you can make everybody play the same game, and fall asleep in the same crib, and do the same things. And it's only once you become at the age of Bar Mitzvah, they begin to differentiate. They begin to distinguish themselves based on their character and who they are. When they mature, their essential differences become apparent and become transparent that others can see. So rather than elaborate with stories about the greatness of Yaakov, and rather than learn about his piety and his virtue, the Torah simply tells us he's Yoshev Ohalim. And rather than develop Esav's wickedness, by giving us examples and illustrations, we capture that wickedness with the simple description is Yodeh Tzayet, he's a hunter. So what's the Torah getting at? What is this fundamental difference? Esav Yodeh Tzayet, he's a hunter. Yaakov Yoshev Oalim, he's a studier, he's a learner. So what's this difference between them? So I want to share with you an insight of Rav Yerucham, the great Rav Yerucham. Oh, my friend Rav Shmuel Goldstein asks, why does it say Yoshev Ohalim, not Yoshev Bit Ohalim? We're going to answer it right now. You can ask questions, by the way, in the chat on either Zoom, Facebook, or YouTube. We're streaming to all three simultaneously. Rav Yerucham, the great Mashkiach of the Mir, explains that in order to understand the fundamental essential difference between the two brothers that emerges when they reach this age of Bar Mitzvah, of majority, take a look at how the Targum translates. The Targum translates the following, Ish Sadeh, which Rashi explains to mean Adam Batal. Esav is characterized as a hunter. Chazal tell us that not only does he capture with his hands, Esav is a hunter who captures, he's skilled at dominating with his lips. Esav has charisma. He's a smooth talker. He's a salesman. He's a manipulator. He's an operator. He's a Yodeit Sayyid. Not only with his hands, it's not only he knows how to operate and to hunt in the field, but he hunts his prey. He hunts the vulnerable. He hunts his victims, even in life with his words as well. Esau wants to influence his surroundings and the people with force, with manipulation, with maneuvering. He's controlling, he's commanding, he's imposing. He doesn't make room for other points of view. Esau's world, no one's allowed to vote differently or root for a different team, or come to a different conclusion, or wear a different type of yarmulke, or think differently. Esav is a hunter. He has prey. He goes out and he slays. He kills anyone who's different than him. Everyone has to conform to who he is and how he behaves. That's Esav's MO. His modus operandi is to be, to coerce and to con everyone to conform to exactly how he sees the world. That's what the Targum is saying. Ish Sadeh Givar Nachshirchan. He's an Adam Batel. He's a maneuver, a manipulator. He coerces everyone. Indeed, we read at the beginning of the parsha that when Yaakov is making these lentils, we'll study more about in a moment, Esav comes in from the field and he says, I'm exhausted. Why is Esav exhausted? Because he was up late with night Seder? He was studying deep into the night? No. Was he exhausted from all that stuck and chesed? No. Why was he so tired? So Chazal give us insight. Chazal, our rabbis tell us, you know why Esav was so exhausted? He was so tired because he had just come from the funeral of his grandfather, his Zayda, Avraham. Avraham had died. And Chazal said that when Avraham died, Esav absolutely melted down. Esav went where? He went to pieces. He absolutely fell apart. Why did Esav fall apart? Esav was so close, close to the Zayda Avraham. We know that, in fact, God did a great 
a great uh, kindness to Avram by allowing Avram to leave this world before he would see just how terrible Esau would become. Esau fell apart. What was he so close with his Zayda, with his grandfather that he fell apart? So the rabbis say no. You know why he fell apart? Because not that he lost Avram, he confronted death. Esau was so arrogant, so egotistical, so controlling that he thought, I'll live forever. He thought he had immortality. And when his grandfather, Avram, dies and he confronts mortality and death for the first time, he falls apart. Why? Because Esav is the ultimate controller, manipulator, and death is something no one can control. Death is something no one can manipulate. And when he discovers and he encounters and he confronts something he cannot control or manipulate, he falls to pieces. That's who Esav is. In contrast, the Torah describes Yaakov. And how is Yaakov described? Yaakov is Yoshev Oalim. And again, if you look at the Targum, it's most insightful. Zog the Targum says the Targum, Yaakov, Jacob, was a mavakish. He had an insatiable appetite to listen, to learn, to absorb from everyone around him. Yaakov didn't have one point of view. Yaakov wasn't narrowly in a box. Yaakov wasn't locked into one perspective. He didn't try to make everyone else conform to him. He didn't maneuver and manipulate and coerce. He listened and he learned and he tried to gain the truth from everywhere. Notice the Pasuk doesn't say he was Yoshev Ba'ohel. He didn't sit in a tent, but rather it says Yoshev Ohalim in the plural. You know why? Because he didn't sit in one tent. Rashi points out, he learned in the yeshiva Shem Ve'ever. Shem Ve'ever were not co-Rashi yeshiva of the same base medrash. They had two different study halls. They had two different Bate medrash. So, says Rashi, Yoshev O'alim, not Yoshev Ohel. It's not that Jacob found one study hall and he planted himself there and he land, learned there full time. Do you know what made Jacob so righteous? You know what made Yaakov, a Talmud Chacham, a scholar? He was Yoshev O'halim because he went from tent to tent. He exposed himself to different ideas and different views and different perspectives. And the weaving of all of them together produced the most beautiful tapestry that made him become who he was. And I share this insight of Rav Yerucham with you this year in particular, because we're living more polarized, we're living more divided than ever, where everyone is trying to make the other conform coercing, you have to vote the way I voted, you have to look the way I look, believe the way I believe, act the way I act. We have to be more like Yaakov. That was Esav. Esav was this hunter who hunted not only with his hands, but he hunted with his lips in the way he spoke and the way he carried himself on. But Yaakov, our patriarch, really our legacy is not to hunt and not to coerce and not to force and not to make others conform, but to be Yoshev Ba'ohalim, to make room and space for multiple tents to make room in our tent for multiple complex and nuanced views instead of binary ones. The world is not you're either with me or against me. You either see it like I do or you're wrong and evil. The world is a complicated, nuanced place with multiple tents, like Yaakov was Yoshev Ohalim. The Gemara Avodah Zarah, Yotes, Rav Chista, quotes Rav Chista, who taught, If you learn Torah only from one teacher, you don't see any blessing in your life. Just like when it comes to material investments, just like when it comes to your investments, you have to diversify. If you put it all in one stock, if you invest it all with one person, you could find yourself in a whole lot of trouble. You have to diversify in order to be safe. So too spiritually, we believe in diversification. Yoshev Ohalim, Yaakov was diversified in his learning. He sat and exposed himself to many tents, shivim panim la Torah, to 70 faces of, to 70 faces of Torah. That is our legacy, that is Yaakov's legacy, and that is what we, what we learn from. Okay. Perech hafei pasuk lamed, moving right along. Yaakov, Esau comes in from the field and he's exhausted. And what's he exhausted from? We already saw. He's exhausted from confronting mortality. He's exhausted from realizing that there's something that he can't control. There's something he's not in charge of. There's something he cannot break. Okay. So uh, someone asked, why is a Ben Soda Remora responsible for his actions? Still a minor, immature child. The answer is, there never was such a thing as a Ben Soda Remora. But you're right. We discussed that actually previously, why, in, why the Ben Soda Remora is, uh, is uh, punished, Al Shem Sofo, because what he's ultimately going to do, 
as opposed to Yishmael, who was Ba'asher Husham. It's a good question. We had discussed it. We had discussed it previously. So Esav comes in from the field. He's exhausted. He's exhausted emotionally, spiritually. He had confronted mortality, something he couldn't control, and that left him broken into pieces. And he's starving. He's hungry. And Yaakov is cooking up a dish. Why is Yaakov cooking? We know he's making lentils. Why is he making lentils? Because they had just gotten back from the funeral of Avraham. And what does a mourner eat? Something round. An egg is the first meal when you come in from the funeral. The Sudas Avra. Round egg is the circle, the cycle of life. The lentils are circular. It's the cycle of life. Yaakov is making a hot pot of cholent, of lentil cholent. And um, an Esav comes in and he says, please, give me something. I'm starving. Give me some of that red stuff. Give me some of that red stuff. I'm exhausted. And until this day, he is known as the people of Edom. Esav is the father of Edom. There is an exile, the exile of Edom. In fact, Christendom, Christianity, we view as the descendants of Esav and our Edom, the manifestation of Edom. So Rav is bothered by the following. Haplia Ola the question comes out on its own from the Pasuk. Because Esav saw that food cooking, and he's hungry, and he didn't know the name of the dish. He didn't know the name of the recipe. So he said, give me some of that, that red stuff. I'm starving. Give me some of that red stuff. So because he didn't know the name of the dish, and he called it red stuff, that becomes the name of the people forever. A name is a description. A name defines an essence. A name describes what is really going on. So because Esau didn't know the name of the food and he calls it red stuff, we call him and the people that descend from him the people of red stuff. We call them Edom Red. In what way does that name of his descendants, of that people, reflect the essence of who Esav is and his impact in the world. What's really going on over here? So he says, Rav Druk, let me explain based on an insight of my father. Says Rav Druk, his father, the Drash Mordechai. We know that Esav was manipulative, conniving. Esav was a cheat, a liar, a thief. Ish Tzayed, as we saw in the Pasuk, Ish Tzayed. So how did, he, how did he do this to his father? He would come to his father and he would say, he wanted his father to believe that he was righteous. So he'd come to his father and he'd ask questions in halacha, which really were nonsensical questions, but that would impress his father that he was thinking in that way. How does one give tithes? How does one tithe the straw, the produce? How do you tithe the salt? What's the difference? He is, he is characterized as a Ramoy. Ramoy is somebody who tricks. So why is he characterized as a Ramoy, as somebody who tricks, rather than as a shakran, a liar? So it says Rav Druk the following. Ramoy who says, The Ramoy is the person who is conniving, that they engage in every lewd, licentious, corrupt behavior in the world, however they cloak it in righteousness. They try to present themselves as if they're righteous. So they ask those kinds of questions. That's the worst, because it's deceptive. It's duplicitous. It's the worst. If a Jew doesn't learn and he doesn't daven, then there's hope that one day he'll repent, he'll turn around. But the person who presents himself as if he's righteous, has no hope. They're going to remain in that place. Why? Because in their mind, they're righteous. Even though just beneath the surface of their righteousness, they're a low life, but since they are conniving and cunning, since they're scheming and lying, they present themselves as if they're righteous, they're also hopeless. So the difference between a Ramoy and a Shakran, a Shakran has hope, but a Ramoy, a Ramoy is hopeless. A Ramoy is hopeless. And therefore we understand. Because he lies and he tries to present himself as if he's righteous, he's really even worse than the wicked person. So that's what's going on over here. When Esav comes in and he says, give me some of that red stuff. Let me have some of that red stuff. And we call his descendants that emanate from him red for now on. What's going on over here? The answer is, 
Yaakov was cooking these lentils in observance of mourning, of grieving for his grandfather. But he didn't know from this. And he presents himself as if he's asking innocently, give me some of that red stuff. He doesn't realize that this was the meal for an Avel, for a mourner that was being prepared for his father Yitzchak. As if he is naive to everything happening around him. And he's trying to innocently ask, what's this red food? Who's it for? Let me have some of the red stuff. I don't know what this is about. So you know what? Forever we call his name, his descendants, Edom, because that captures who he is. He's a cunning, conniving, lying, cheating, manipulative, distortive, controlling thief. That's who he is. He's trying to present himself as if he's righteous when he's really a low life. Esav, who nimshal our rabbis tell us that Esav is likened to the pig. We know that for an animal to be kosher, it has to have two signs, two symbols, split hooves and chew its cud. The pig sticks out its foot and says, look at me, I have split hooves. And so you're tempted to believe, ooh, this must be a kosher animal. But the truth is, it doesn't chew its cud, it's not kosher. So Esav sticks out his, look at me, I'm kosher. Even though just beneath the surface, he is entirely non-kosher. And that's the worst. That's the most irredeemable. That's the most hopeless. And because when he asked for the red food, that was an expression of that very attitude and behavior, that's why his name was Edom, moving forward and moving on from there. We're not getting that far in the parsha. We're going to try to move along. But turn the page. Page 128. Yaakov gives, they cut a deal. Yaakov says, ooh, you want some of my red stuff, do you? You're hungry and tired and exhausted, are you? No problem. I'll make a deal. Here you go. You know what? Sell me the birthright. Sell me that birthright. And I'll be happy to share my challenge with you. You're more than welcome to have some of my lentil soup. It's all yours. So they cut the deal. Yaakov gives him some bread. He gives him lentil soup. And Esav eats and he drinks. He gets up and he goes. And he was vayivez. He spurned. He ridiculed. He mocked the Bechorah, the birthright. The birthright. The Ramban, there's an extraordinary insight of the Ramban on this Pasuk. The Ramban points out that this day was Avram's funeral, as we said. And the Yaakov was preparing the lentil soup for his father Yitzchak, who was a mourner. And Esav sold the birthright for a bowl of soup. And our rabbis teach us that, in fact, on this day, Esav violated no less than five separate prohibitions, five transgressions. The Talmud in Baba Basra, Tezvav says, Tezayin says, Amr Yochanan, Chamash Averos Avar Oso Rasha Oso Ayom. He slept with a married woman. He committed an act of murder. He denied God's existence. He degraded the birthright. What exactly was the transgression of selling the birthright? These five. I understand. Sleeping with a married woman? That's a no-no. Murder? Psh, big no-no. I got it. I understand. Denying God's existence? Heresy? No-no. What exactly was the prohibition of selling the birthright? So Rashi tells us the birthright he had inherited positioned him to be the ambassador of God in this world. The Judaism embraces the unique position of the Bechor and the role the Bechor, the firstborn, plays within the home. Rabbi Soloveitchik points out that primogeniture is not considered a source of power in Judaism. Just because you're the firstborn doesn't make you any better. However, being the oldest does give you some responsibility. Kadeshli kol Bechor, sanctify for me every firstborn. That through being the firstborn, the Bechorah, Yaakov is now not only going to inherit the land, but he's going to inherit the covenantal destiny, the responsibility, the special relationship, the kahuna, the priesthood. That notion of a birthright is much more than just a right to land. It's a right to a role in destiny, in shaping destiny. Asa was given the option to participate in the divine covenant. And had he not sold the birthright, the firstborn, Esav would have been entitled to the same destiny that God put on Yaakov. Esav would have been the Jewish people, so to say, who were the chosen people who were, te- who were, who were teaching the world. So that was an Avera, that was a great transgression, a great prohibition, that he sold it, that he so flippantly and casually got rid of it, exchanged it for what? For a bowl of lentil soup. So Ramban says, if you want to know what Esav truly thought about his birthright, and if you want to know what Esav really thought about the honor to carry the legacy of his father and grandfather, look at what he does right after he sells it. The Pasuk says, 
Notice the order, says the Ramban. It doesn't say he denigrated the birthright when it was sold. It says he sold the birthright and he continued then to eat and to drink and to get up and to go out. And only then does it say he displayed a great disregard for the birthright. You see, Asa was hungry, so he sold the birthright for a bowl of soup. Was he traumatized? Was he devastated? When his belly was full and he realized what he had done, when he sobered up and he came to, was he regretful? Was he depressed? Did he get upset? Did he have remorse for what he had done? No. Says the Ramban, Esav's most egregious transgression was how easily he went back to normal life. How little he cared about his birthright. How casual he was about getting rid of it and moving on. He went on. Vayakam vayelech. He just got up and he went on. You know, tragically, there are children who have gotten rid of their own birthright. They've walked away from our Torah and our Torah way of life. And maybe they've walked away because of circumstances in their lives, or maybe they've walked away because of, of pain, or maybe they've walked away because of what they think are compelling questions. But there's a way to walk away and a way to walk away. Do you walk away with regret and with pain, with sorrow? Or do you walk away like Esav, so casually, so flippantly, just getting rid of it? The Ramban says, look at that order. Vayakam vayelach, he got up and he went back to play golf. He went back to the bar. He went back to his dorm room. He went, just moved back on, but it didn't cause him any pain whatsoever. He didn't even pause to think about what walking away meant to him and what walking away meant to others, to the people around him. And that in itself is very, very painful. Okay, we know one of the episodes... Oh, so much more I wanted to tell you. So much more I wanted to tell you. So little time. Very quickly, the parsha tells us that Yitzchak digs wells, and the plishtim, the Philistines, they fill in the wells, and Yitzchak redigs the wells. What is this image? The Chavetz Chaim al Torah, the great Chavetz Chaim on that pasuk, Perach Avav Pasuk Yutes, chapter twenty-six, verse nineteen, that the slaves of Yitzchak redug wells that were filled and they were dug again. Says the Chavetz Chaim, you see from here a very powerful lesson, which is, if you try and fail, try again. It teaches us, Don't give up! Don't walk away! Don't give in! Don't despair! If he dug and didn't find water, you know what he did next? <coughs> he dug again! He continued to dig! And if he dug and found water, but his enemies filled them in, you know what he did? He dug again! If you don't succeed, First, with your learning, al yazovas Torah. Where does the Chavetz Chaim get this from? He says, "En mayim ala Torah." Water is a symbol of Torah. So, just like Yitzchak dug means he was invested in learning to try to discover truth, to discover spirituality, to discover Torah. And even when it got filled in, he dug again. And even if he didn't find water, he dug again to find water. Don't ever get discouraged in your learning of Torah. Stick with it and stay at it, and don't get discouraged because you will break through to water, says the Chavetz Chaim. We see that from our great patriarch Yitzchak. Don't give in, don't give up, don't walk away, don't despair. Keep trying, keep trying again and again and again. The great Kasher Glover, Rav Aryei Frimer, Rav Aryei is the Kasher Glover, was the Rosh Hashim of Yeshiva Chachmei Lublin, and he said the following. He said, you know what this means? What does it mean to dig and redig the wells of a father? Our patriarchs and matriarchs planted within us genetics. They gave us DNA physically, but they also gave us spiritual DNA. That's what we say in our davening. We didn't just say each one separately planted within us different skill, different DNA, different capacity, and different potential. However, that spark that they planted within us gets covered, layers over it. Voracious koltzarch levtoches astima. We have to redig. We have to uncover that holy spark. We have to discover what they planted and put within us, the matriarchs and patriarchs. Barach acher kachicholim lachbor chadash. So before you can dig new, you have to redig the well of your ancestors. Before you dig a new well, before you discover for yourself, you have to redig the well of the ancestor. That's how the kashik lover of Ari Tzifrimer understands. Vayishav Yitzchak vayachbor es abeiros. That were vayistum aplishtim, then vayachparu new ones be'er ma'im chayim, be'er ma'im chayim again. Ma'im chayim is Torah. If you want to discover Torah spirituality and you want to chart 
your own path towards Torah and spirituality, it begins first by redigging and revealing the wells, the wellsprings of Torah of our ancestors, that which they planted and that which they placed deep inside us. One more, two more insights I wanted to share, but we are out of time, so we'll save them for next year. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy. Tomorrow morning, we continue with Mesil Sasharim at 8.15. 8.45, join our Living with Amuna. Both of these are given on our YouTube channel, Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg. Join us for Mesil Sasharim at 8.15, Living with Amuna at 8.45. And tomorrow night, we're going behind the bima with the great Ben Brafman. Join us for an amazing conversation at 9 p.m. tomorrow night. Until then, have a fantastic day.